it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season too. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 89. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Baku, Sevilla, Amsterdam, Glasgow, München, Sankt Petersburg, Bukarest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Totally football show at the Euros and we're off. Opening night sees the Italians driving upfield menacingly. Then when they took the ball out of the toy car, they looked even more dangerous. Scoring three, carving up Turkey like it was Natale. Next up, day two, sees Denmark taking on Finland. Will we see happy Finnish faces in their first ever tournament appearance? Speaking of happy finishers, Juba's Russia face world number one's Belgium. And Bale Claxon as the Swiss face any other home nations that may be competing. It's the Totally Football Show at the Euros in association with Paddy Power. Hurrah, listener, and hello to you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, with our coverage of the first day of Euro 2020. Did you catch Friday's opening match? Do you have informed views on the opening ceremony? Uh, well, if not, don't worry. Sasha Gurionov and Duncan Alexander are here to help. We've got James Horncastle pitching up uh, very shortly as well. Uh, Sasha, hello, good evening. Hi, James. Hello, and good evening to you, Duncan Alexander. I say good evening because this is just after the final whistle at the Stadio Olimpico. Literally moments later, and we're, we're mm. already analysing. Yeah, hello. And one or two hours after the rather touching opening ceremony, would you say? There were a couple of glitches when 1984 called and asked for its graphics machine back, and when uh, the Covent Garden Piazza asked for their golden mime statues to be returned. But in all other respects, I thought it was tremendously successful. Always love a bit of Nessun Dorma. Always love to see fans right. in the stadium. This tournament finally happening. Uh, so I think it was just, just, just generally heartening to see, um, to see Stadio Olimpico on our screens with actual football uh, a year late. Mm. Do you know the thing that affected me the most um, was there was a slight sag to the goal nets in the in the Olympico, which was very reminiscent of World Cup 1990, and I had a real kind of you know sort of flashback just from a mm. slight you know wafting of the net. And it was obviously that that was the first tournament game played at that stadium since the 1990 World Cup final, and a lot has changed since then. Obviously, Maradona was in that game. He's now essentially a stadium in Italy, isn't he, in some ways. So, um, 
I know that it's a lot of players and fans don't particularly like that stadium, but it is a very kind of storied place, isn't it? So mm. it's a good a good place to start a tournament. Yeah, I would say that it shouldn't work in many ways because of the running track and that, but it really does. I mean, it's a really atmospheric place. Yeah, it's, the, it's the least invasive running track in world football, I would posit. It almost acts as part of just kind of like spreading the, you know, opening it out to the, the crowd, giving it room for everything to kind of express. Anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah, lovely, lovely stuff. And as you say, Sasha, uh, it's never a problem to hear Nessun Dorma, sung so very beautifully by Andrea Bocelli. Uh, with in the background, I think it was a reference to La Donna Mobile, the, the woman's pirouetting up into the night sky under the balloons. Anyway, enough about that. Let's get on to the main business of the evening in Rome on Friday, and that was Italy's 3-0 win over Turkey. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Lorenzo il Magnifico, we are a war machine, Fabio Caressa there at Italy's third goal on Friday night. James Horncastle joins us now. James, what a what an exhilarating <laughs> evening from the Azuri. We are a war machine. A war machine. Yes. <laughs> no, it, it was a fantastic second half performance in particular um, from uh, from Italy who'd come up against a, a, a Turkey side that what had been touted as one of the unfancy teams that might go quite far in this competition, and they might yet do that. But back um, to Turkey, certainly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. um, certainly, the first hour, all they did was defend. You know, which, considering some of the the players that they've they've got going forward, was uh, was disappointing. Um, and Italy then cut through them wonderfully uh, in the in the second half. It was really disappointing to see a team at the Stadio Olimpico just thinking about defending i mean yeah nobody wants, <laughs> nobody wants something. but italy they got finally the breakthrough after all that domination in the first half through demerol's own goal then they didn't sit back on a one goal lead what's going on well this is uh, mancini's way uh, isn't it I, I thought the the first goal the change that they made at uh, half time as well when they brought on di lorenzo for uh, florenzi di lorenzo who gave them a little bit more of a burst on the on the right hand side um uh, and then, you know, kind of a opening goal made in Sassuolo because, uh, and I think this is one of the great stories of of, of this national team, or if, if you want to say, uh, the opening night, because uh, Locatelli spreading the play, ending up at Berardi, and Berardi then crossing it to Demiral, who who scored the own goal. Demiral, who kind of came to Italy via Sassuolo, um, uh, so. I think that's kind of amazing, really, uh, that mm. a, a team from a from a city of what forty thousand people—it's not even a city—has um, uh, has been able to have some kind of a contribution like that. But uh, Spinazzola all night was just absolutely rampant, and uh, I think uh, again goes to show that when he's fit and healthy, he's he's got that ability to where well, he's got pace. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy who plays on the left who's right-footed, loves nothing more than to cut inside and really go at, uh, at defenders. And yeah, ultimately, those combinations between him uh, and Insigne told. Absolutely. Duncan, were you impressed? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, you saw lots of people on social media saying, well, hang on, this isn't the Italy I remember, as if, you know, countries are stuck in, you know, 
the same way of playing forever. But yeah, they were. It was a, very much a team performance, and um, you know, even the own goal was was due to the kind of constant threat that Italy were, were posing. I mean, I would say the true own goal was was Turkey's lack of ambition, really, wasn't it? I mean, they mm. uh, they only let in three goals in the whole of qualifying, um, and then obviously there's this long running stat that Italy had never scored more than two goals in a in a European Championship game. This was their 39th match. Um, and they finally did it. So Incredible. Other numbers you may enjoy, listener, include the fact that Italy are now 28 matches in a row unbeaten and nine consecutive victories, all of them, without conceding a single goal. There was one slight moment at the end when you wondered if Turkey were going to interrupt that with a consolation, but but they didn't. James, just finally, early stages of this tournament, of course, but Italy very composed on the ball, very, very composed off it. Yeah, and uh, I think you mentioned uh, that streak of clean sheets that they had. It was it was kind of fun to see at the end. You know, one of the very few chances that uh, that Turkey created, uh, Chiellini getting in the way and celebrating like he'd scored a goal, even though his team was three 0 up. I mean, I, I think the combination of uh, of Chiellini and Bonucci, who you know people keep saying, oh, but they've got Chiellini and Bonucci at the back, two of the best centre backs of their generation, who've got what two hundred nine caps between them. Um, I don't see that as a weakness in the slightest, uh, and you've just got that blend, um, but. Yeah, this has been consistent with really what we've seen from Mancini for two years now. 28 games unbeaten, a new generation that has come through uh, playing this style of football, which you know they've been taught coming up through the, the youth ranks for the, for the national team for the last 10 years. So it's exciting to see that um, Italy, after trying to play this way on the Cesare Prandelli, particularly in 2014, and initially doing very well against England, and maybe that's a bit of a cautionary tale before we get too carried away, in Manaus, uh, and then you know that uh, that experiment coming to a, a very quick end with them going out into group stages. I don't think that's going to happen this time because I just think we've seen this consistent kind of this crescendo really under under Mancini going into this major tournament. I mean, Italy are basically through now, aren't they? The way that the groups are structured, a, a win and three goals is pretty much enough to uh, you know start planning the last sixteen now. So Wembley, here we come. Hmm. Well, absolutely. Uh, next up for Italy, it will be Switzerland. Uh, actually, that's coming up next Wednesday uh, at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome again, uh, while Turkey next up face Wales in Baku. James, thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening. We'll catch up with you soon. Pleasure, guys. Hey, Sasha, some folks have been talking up Turkey. Hmm? Yeah. Sasha, hey? I, w- I wonder yeah. who those people are. And uh, some folks have also been saying that, uh, you know, Gunesh would go quite defensive um, uh, in Rome and will try to catch Italy on the break. Unfortunately, he did the defensive bit and uh, forgot to do the rest of it. Um, I think you could see in the first half that um, how deep Turkey was sitting. I mean, it was, I think, 6-3-1. Yakushla was dropping back, Karaman was dropping back, and eventually they were just squashed by the pressure that I think they invited upon themselves. Um, I think... um, Italy learned to get around the defence a bit better at, after half-time. But also you could see that at 1-0, um, obviously Gunesh makes, makes some substitutions to get back into the game. And you could see Barella picking up the ball in a huge amount of space in midfield where clearly Yokushlu is gone and there's there no structure and they do whatever they want. Um, and I thought the only really player to come out with any credit tonight was Chakir, the goalkeeper. Yes, I mean, he slightly shanked his clearance uh, for the third, but I thought, you know, he looked athletic, his reactions were excellent. And I think if anything, yeah, he was let down by his more experienced defenders. I thought he, he had a very, very good game today. 
Well, it might have been very pleasant viewing that for uh, Wales, who, as we mentioned, will be facing Turkey next. I mean, the good thing is it's not over for Turkey. In in some situations, they'd be dead and buried now, but they're not. They've got. I've still got a really good chance. So, um, yeah, we'll go again. Again, I mean, from from Turkish point of view, you could you could look at the last two games. Turkey might not only need to win one, maybe with a different goal difference to actually get through. So, it's not the mm. end of the world. Way to ramp up the jeopardy, guys. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Uh, listener, remember, you can sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020. All the articles, all the podcasts, ad-free and Q&As with writers. It's all for just £1 a month. I mean, I'm laughing. £1 a month for your six months. So head to theathletic.com slash totally. Uh, you can also download The Radar, which is a comprehensive PDF scouting the players to watch at Euro 2020, including Harry Wilson of Wales. So far, we've had 90 minutes... Saturday brings three more big mashups. We'll talk about them next. Euros are here, and you'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpadium. Yeah? If the grass is greener on the other side, Come and play on it. If your book is not giving you the best rewards, switch and you'll get a completely free £5 bet builder on all England's group games. Paddy Power. Pre-match bet builder bets only. Min two plus legs on non-exclusive. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listener, it's... June the 12th, or thereafter, uh, for you. And on this day in Euro history, well, in Euro 2012, uh, host nation Poland 
witnessed this extraordinary equaliser by their skipper Jakob Blazikowski against Russia. Was it a keenly felt game, that one, against Russia for the host nation? We'll have a listen to the reaction to that goal outside in the fan parks. Sasha, do you, do you remember that goal? Yeah, I remember there was a massive ride before the game. That's what I remember it for. And also Russia came a cropper uh, because uh, they won the first game 4-1. Uh, they drew this one 1-1 and then they, they lost to Greece going out. So they were very much downward trajectory and, and hooliganism. Right, what, a, what an unpleasant cocktail. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, 1-1s with, with Poland, and also on this day at Euro 2008, Howard Webb awarded a controversial 90th-minute penalty for co-host Austria, which allowed them to equalise against the Poles. Uh, angry much? Yeah, you're remembering this. Within minutes, websites were listing Webb's home address, telephone number and even work email address. A very serious business, especially since it was the wrong Howard Webb. This was Howard Webb of Rotherham. Hello to you if you're listening. Surely the work email address would have would have given it away. If it wasn't Howard.Webb at refereespalace.org, <laughs> then, then clearly it's not the right man. Well, so, no, it wasn't the right man. Uh, he needed police protection because of the threats made to him. Uh, actual referee Howard Webb wouldn't because he is police protection. Yeah, he was a... Mm. But was he then or was he, had he turned professional by that point as a professional Possibly referee? he had, Duncan, but, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, have you ever yeah, been mistaken yeah. for anyone, Duncan? Um, no. All right, Man, listen, send in your lucky like Sorry, what was that? What was that? Manuel Elmania on occasion. <laughs> really? Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Uh, well, let's hear what's on the way on this day in 2021. Day two of Euro 2020, and at two o'clock, it's the other half of Group A, Wales, Switzerland. Gareth Bale leading the Dragons in their bid to be, well, this year's Wales. At five, Group B gets underway, and so does Finland's first ever tournament game. It's against Denmark. They're the finish, but how will they start? Then at eight o'clock, also in Group B, it's Sasha putting the bins out as top-ranked Belgium take on Russia. <laughs> Are you nervous, Sasha? No, not at all. I think um, I, I don't feel allegiance to... To, to like a particular national side in the big tournaments anymore to be honest it's oh, kind of dissipated in years so yeah ex exactly how convenient given Russia's performances maybe something's got to do with that but uh, I think I mean Russia obviously coming in as, an, as a massive underdog into this game really nothing to lose low expectations but not as negative as, as we had it last time however at the World Cup they did have the benefit of facing possibly the worst team in the group in the first game whereas this time they have the favourites um, I mean we, we can see that you know, uh, Belgium do have uh, missing players like De Bruyne isn't might might even miss two games. I heard uh, not just the first one. Obviously, Witzel hasn't recovered yet. Azar is not in a very good state, but I think they still they should. I mean, what, what are they going to have? Munier, Dendonka, Tielemans, Togan, Azar across the midfield. Mertens, Lukaku, Carrasco up front. I think Russia are going to be struggling in this one. Okay, you will have home advantage, but Belgium, on the other hand, have already beaten you three-one and four-one 
in the qualifying games for this tournament. Yeah, I mean, one of those uh, games famously, I mean, it was De Bruyne uh, who, who ran the show. And of course, um, you know, Belgium knows St. Petersburg quite well. Uh, that's where they beat England, you know, in the third place playoff. Um, and Russia also, I think, see Belgium as a bit of a bogey team over the years. Uh, I remember 2002 World Cup, they lost out to them. And of course, Soviet Union's most famous defeat, 1986, last 16, uh, when they lost 4-3. And there was controversy because of possible offside goals and the Russians were furious. Um, and Bilano scored a hat-trick, but the uh, Soviet team went out and that was that was a mat- probably one of the most keenly felt defeats uh, in Soviet football's history. Uh, so there's plenty of history there, but I think they just... They're just on different levels, the two sides. All right, well, we'll, we'll see. Duncan, are you looking forward to this one? Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see Belgium. I mean, Sasha's mentioned uh, the absence is there, but, you know, they've got four players with more than 100 caps. This is arguably one of the most experienced um, international teams to ever turn up at a tournament. But it reminds me a little bit of England in the 2010 World Cup, where it was such an established set of players, but they had slightly, the golden generation was slightly, you know, tailing off a little bit. And to be fair, I don't think Belgium are going to play like England did at the 2010 World Cup, but they are an experienced team, but sometimes experienced teams can be, you know, run ragged in in tournaments. So um, possibly not Russia, but I think someone in this tournament has definitely got the, you know, the capability of giving Belgium a, a pretty difficult time. We shall see. Okay, eight o'clock this evening. Sasha. Uh, one thing I would add, there is talk in Russia at the moment of playing Kuzaev, Ozdoev, Zobnin and Golovin, all of whom on paper might end up in central midfield. So if you had four against two, I mean, of course, I'm being slightly ridiculous here. Maybe they're going to try to knock the living, living daylights out of Dendonka and Tiedemans, but I think it's, it's still it's a very long, long shot. Okay. All right. Well, earlier on, also in Group B, there's this Nordic thing between Denmark and Finland, which could be very interesting. Denmark, a lot of people's picks as dark horses, just as Turkey were. Uh, while Finland, a.k.a. the Eagle Owls, are playing in their very first men's tournament ever. How are they going to do? We caught up with former Finnish football writer of the year, Ari Virtanen of Helsingen Sanomat, at the airport on his way to Copenhagen for the game. Ari, thank you so much for spending your time in between uh, airplane rides with us. Uh, A lot of people have made the comparison with Iceland at the last European Championships who had such an extraordinary run in their first tournament. Can Finland have that kind of a run? Um, I doubt that. (laughs) I'm sorry to say, but uh, it's of course possible. There are some uh, factors that remind me uh, of Iceland in this team. Uh, For example, a lot of the key players uh, uh, were sent away or were invited to foreign clubs when they were uh, 16, 17, 18 years old. Same as with Iceland team. And then um, we are also massive underdogs in this tournament. So that that reminds of Iceland, of course. But, you know, with with this uh, tournament format, it's it's always possible that... uh, Finland can win uh, one game and then we are through to the playoffs. Absolutely. Finland, after all, a team who last November defeated the world champions France 2-0 in Paris. That gives a huge amount of self-confidence to the team and and it it did 
give it to the team and and to individual players like uh, Marcus Force of uh, Brentford who scored in his debut and also Onni Valakari who also scored in his debut he plays in uh, Pafos by the way excellent it's a tough start for Finland in in this first tournament for Swami uh, you've got Denmark in Copenhagen which you're on your way to right now uh, Russia in St Petersburg and then the world's top ranked nation Belgium <laughs> it, 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 now that you say it, it seems like an impossible group. Um, Denmark is a fierce opponent, uh, and, and their attacking game is is admirable. And, and I think it, on the paper, Russia is uh, the easiest opponent of these three teams. Okay, and that's in St. Petersburg. Are a lot of Finnish fans going to travel to that? Yes, yes. There, there will be a lot of fans or as much as there can be in these circumstances. Uh, at, at least 2,000 in Parken uh, Stadium in Copenhagen and, and maybe more in, in St. Petersburg because it, it's quite close. Of course, the officials and government uh, advise that people shouldn't travel there, but hey, how can people miss this kind of opportunity? It, it's a once-in-a-lifetime situation for, for these fans and who knows, it, it might be even for the team. So it, it, it's a must thing to see. So, of course, people have taken all the precautions and, and taken the tests and, and they are careful. So I'm, I'm not the one to blame them for traveling there. Okay, we're two or three minutes into the interview now, Harry, and we still haven't mentioned Taymor Puki. So, <laughs> what, what an extraordinary, what an extraordinary qualifying uh, campaign he has had. How central is he? Uh, to what Finland are hoping to be doing in these group games? Well, absolutely. One of the key players. Uh, uh, we rely on his uh, counter-attacking uh, skills and, and his uh, sharp, accurate shots. So, um, of course, there are good strikers in the team as well. I, I think we haven't had this kind of a, a, a striking power uh, for decades. We have... Uh, two Premier League uh, uh, goal scorers uh, and, and also two Bundesliga goal scorers there in the team. So uh, I'm not sure. This this might be a unique situation. Uh, there was once a time when there were uh, Shevki Kutsi, Mikael Forsell and Jonathan Johansson and, and also Jari Litmanen in the team. So mm. this this is certainly good enough uh, uh, team uh, what, what comes to attacking. Uh, uh, we, we might be a bit of a sort of uh, good enough players in the midfield. Uh, the defense is uh, is really uh, solid, although the club names of the players don't impress much. But any- anyways, they play well together. Ari, you said it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime chance for the fans and possibly for the team as well, possibly for journalists following Finland as well in this tournament. So how excited are you and what are you most looking forward to seeing? Oh... Well, I'm of course excited. Uh, I think I might be a little bit emotional when the game starts uh, in Copenhagen on Saturday evening. Uh, but then when the game starts, it's simple for me as the players. Uh, uh, we have to concentrate on the game and, and mm. be focused. I just hope that Finland's going to score a few goals and, and then there's going to be some excitement in the end of the group, uh, maybe in, in the last game too. Excellent. All right, Ari, that's brilliant stuff. Uh, Have a great trip to Copenhagen and beyond. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Ari Virtanen there. Right, on his way to the big game. The Danes, though, they look like tough opponents. 
Only one defeat in the last 12 matches. Only three in the last 34 competitive games. Crikey. What do you think, Duncan? What do you think about the Danes? Are they a more likely dark horse than the Turks proved on Friday? Yeah, I think uh, it's time to get the tarpaulin for the, the early dark horses and, and switch to uh, a fresh batch of dark horses. So, yeah, Denmark are uh, a very good team, actually. I mean, the, uh, this fixture's good. Like, it's, that, it's the country everyone thinks in, is in Scandinavia but isn't against the country everyone doesn't remember is in Scandinavia. Do you know what I mean? Because Finland actually is in Scandinavia, but Denmark isn't. No, so they're around. around. <laughs> Denmark is in Scandinavia, but I always assumed they weren't. I never thought Finland were in Scandinavia. Well, I, I think I think that's because you're a very educated man on on Baltic, you know. Things. Right, but Topology, I think a lot of people yeah. would. Yeah, I think a lot of people get them get that mixed up. So. Okay. Well, happy to put them right. Now that we've seen Italy score three and, and break their you know, two goal glass ceiling. Um, the the baton sort of passes on to Denmark. They haven't scored more than two in any of their last 22 games at, at major tournaments. Um, last did it in 98 against Nigeria. So again, maybe this is going to be the Euros of teams, you know, getting those monkeys off their back and scoring goals. But um, yeah, but I just hope for Finland's sake they don't open their first ever tournament match with a, with a thumping. Hmm. We, we did speak about the um, the remarkable Danish spine going into this tournament. Of course, questions um, over, over the actual strikers. But I think maybe Jonas Wind, uh, 22, playing at his home ground, FC Copenhagen. Uh, obviously, play at Parkinstadion. And um, maybe he can be that extra factor that adds a bit of an extra punch for them up front. But particularly as he is, even though Finns think they have a good defence, I think with Eriksen's passing and... Bit of you know, bit of grit in the Danish midfield. I think they could probably set wind up on his way to actually cause some trouble for the Finnish defence. Mm-hmm. A mighty wind. All right, excellent. Well, that's Group B anyway. There's another game that takes place on Saturday, and it comes from the other half of Group A. The early kickoff in which Wales will be taking on Switzerland all the way over there in Baku, Azerbaijan. Switzerland, who in the first of our preview shows, which are well worth going back to and, and enjoying if you haven't already. Tom Williams uh, described Switzerland as being the, the Mexico of UEFA because they, they tend to make it to the finals without really denting mm. the knockout stages. Could this be the year they get it right, though? What do you think? Is that the dark horse klaxon going off again? Might be. Well, it is a little bit. So they made the round of 16 under Petkovic in 2016. They then made the final four of the inaugural Nations League and they've got a pretty interesting set of players. Yeah, they're an interesting team. I mean, I'm not expecting this game to be a classic, I'll be honest. I mean, they went through their group in 2016, Switzerland, by scoring two goals and letting in one, which is, you know, in three games is not loads of goals. And Wales only scored 10 goals in qualifying. We spoke about Timu Puki a minute ago and he scored as many goals in qualifying as Wales did in total. So it's, you know, two teams that will, will probably, in particularly now, I think this is what's interesting about tournaments as well is now they've seen Turkey lose to, to Italy, you know, a draw is not that bad for both these teams. Mm. Uh, particularly, you know, uh, Turkey on minus three goal difference now. So even if you lose... 2-1, 3-2, probably more likely 1-0. That's not going to be that bad a result when you know what's happened elsewhere. So how will it affect the players? Well, that, that remains to be seen. You were you were enthusing about Denmark, Duncan. Let's just remind ourselves that Switzerland actually topped Group D 
of Euro qualifying for this tournament ahead of Denmark. So they are better. Sasha. Yeah, I'm looking at this. And I've seen, actually, I saw Switzerland play at uh, Euro 2016. I went to Lens to see them play against Albania, um, which is quite a curious game because um, uh, the entire uh, Swiss midfield was actually ethnic Albanians. So it was like 16 ethnic Albanians on the pitch. And how Albania could have wished they could have had that midfield, basically, in that game. So I thought Switzerland were comfortably better, but they were not spectacular up top. And I think there was always questions about Seferovic. Uh, basically, whether he is a consistently good high-level striker. I think in 2016, he was sort of struggling for goals, I think, at Eintracht Frankfurt. And I think at Benfica, he's kind of decent every other season. Um, but, like, I look at this game, and as you were talking about the goal differences and stuff, I'm just thinking nil-nil. Um, and I think nil-nil hmm. would actually suit both teams. But you have to bear in mind that after this game, these two teams then have to play Turkey uh, in Baku. And playing Turkey in Baku will be like playing Turkey away, effectively, because there's going to be vociferous home support for uh, Turkey in Baku. So maybe that might encourage one of them to go for it. Or alternatively, they might think, well, we'll get a nil-nil here. We saw uh, the loss of organization that Turkey suffered today. Turkey would have to come at us, just hit them on the counter. Mm. All right. Uh, Wales, who were the, the, the fairy tale story of the last Euros, how much of that pixie dust do they still have about them for you, Duncan? Um... Probably not quite as much. I mean, there's questions about Gareth Bale, about how, you know, can he can he do what he did five years ago, isn't it? Um, uh, and then, yeah, same with, you know, Aaron Ramsey as well. Uh, Ramsey was brilliant. I mean, he people forget how good he was in the last year. He, he assisted four goals in a tournament, which is pretty rare to do. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're organised. I mean, it, again, I think a lot of these... A lot of these teams, you can't really kind of, you know, everyone's talking about Turkey and saying, you know, they're, they're dark horses, they're blah, blah, blah. We saw tonight that actually stepping up into a tournament is is a different thing. And, you know, maybe one of Wales or Switzerland will, will panic and, and turn in a, a terrible performance. But, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, one thing I would add as well. Uh, so the kickoff is five o'clock, Baku time. I think it's going to be high 20s, possibly low 30s out there. Another oh. reason why, uh, yeah, I might, I don't think, um, I don't expect particularly flowing football from this one. I see. All right. Well, should you choose to watch it? And I think probably after that, that opening ceremony and opening game, we're all enthused to see as much of this tournament, which is suddenly happening all around the continent. Caught me a little bit by surprise. I must admit, we all knew Euros were coming, but to suddenly see an international tournament taking place yeah. in all its glory was a yeah. bit, oh, was pretty neat. Uh, so, yeah, it uh, kicks off at 2 o'clock, very much UK time, but, you listener, you might be somewhere else more exotic. I don't know. Uh, let's get some odds for Saturday from Paddy Power. It's over to producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Well then, listeners, we're back. Uh, this is producer Ben, and I am on the line with Jason Murphy from Paddy Power. Jason, I want to look ahead to Saturday's games, please. And uh, with apologies to our Malaysian listeners, because uh, I believe the surname of Timu Puki from Norwich uh, is a swear word uh, over in Malaysia. Um, I fancy him to have at least one shot on target, or quite literally one shot on target in that game against the Danes. Am I right here? Yeah, for Puki to have one shot on target in the match, it's 8 to 13. What we just, you know, we always want to advise listeners if you're having a bet with Paddy Power, be informed and think about the angles. It won't be the Puki that we're used to seeing playing in an Norwich team. Obviously, that's a 4 2 3 1, but 
for Finland, it's likely going to be a 5 3 2, and he'll have to share some of those shots out. Plus, he's not going to have Bundia supporting him either, uh, putting him on a plate. So just keep that in mind. But Puki, one shot on target, it's 8 to 13. And uh, yeah, there'll be plenty of Finnish people swearing it if it hits the back of the net if he does get one. Okay. And finally, uh, you guys are all about the bet builders uh, for the Euros. Now, uh, for those people who don't know, a bet builder is pretty much like an acker, but on a on a single game. Wales versus Switzerland, where I'm focusing on. And for this, my bet builder, please, is a goal for Gareth Bale, a yellow card for Aaron Ramsey, and four shots on target for the Swiss. What kind of numbers do I get for that? Yeah, so the goal for Gareth Bale is going to be popular with anyone doing a bet builder. He's 13 to 5 to score any time in this match. The yellow for Ramsey is interesting. As a single, it's 10 to 3 for it to occur. Looking at his career, he picks up a yellow card about one in every seven games. So it depends on where he's positioned in this Welsh team. Wales have a lot of good of attacking options. So I think Ramsey could be actually playing a bit more central, sitting back and more likely to pick up that yellow. So it's a great angle. And then Switzerland just to have four shots in the game, not four shots on target, just four shots in the game, because you know Xhaka might be hitting a few of them, could be a few Hail Marys in there. That's three to 10. So you put those three legs in for this match and it comes up just shy of 25 to one, but you can do your own bet builder. You might like those angles, you might not, but that's the great thing about it. Whatever you fancy, you can do and get a bit of entertainment watching the game. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Place a four-plus-fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 80plus. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate's squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sasha! I was just going to mention something about Baku and today's Wales-Switzerland game. One person who was supposed to be there commentating on, on the game is uh, was Match TV's Mikhail Masakovsky. Uh, he turned up at Baku airport, uh, was stopped and turned around and put on the plane back to Moscow. Uh, reasons for this given as other reasons. Well, he suspects what actually happened was this was because of his visit uh, to Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, the disputed territory 
between Armenia and Azerbaijan, Azeri territory, uh, technically. And uh, he played in a football tournament there in 2009. And this is off the back of a major sort of diplomatic incident, as it became this week, when Nobel Arustamian, who was born in Baku, but also visited Karabakh, and he also works for Match TV, his accreditation actually got refused by UEFA, and it got actually got raised to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and, you know, the spokesperson, Maria Zakharova, got involved. So he got his accreditation for the tournament eventually. Mikhail Mosakovsky got his accreditation up front, and then he got turned around at the airport. His colleague, Konstantin Genich, got a call from someone, you know, reminding uh, him of his visit to Nagorno-Karabakh in 2009, which again, by Azerbaijan law, is illegal. And then he got a uh, he got knocked back uh, by UEFA as well. So it's a bit of a uh, diplomatic incident, I think, going on there with accreditations um, for this tournament. At the same time, Robert Kempe from ARD got knocked back from visiting St. Petersburg because he has been talking extensively about the relationship between Gazprom and UEFA. Uh, so um, it's interesting. What is interesting, I think, I, f- I find with this, um, apart obviously from from all the issues for fellow journalists and commentators is hosting a tournament across 11 nations there would be certain difficulties which might not arise against one nation because there might be grievances or disputes or someone misstepped somewhere amongst these 11 countries and this one of these countries wouldn't have a veto on the F accreditation so we'll see whether anything else is going to come up but at the moment uh, Baku is not very popular amongst uh, Russian uh, TV workers let's say so these are their accreditations for all of the uh, Euro 2020s, or just for games in Baku? Yeah. For uh, all of no, the... for all for, for for the whole tournament, you need uh, you need an approval from everybody. And for example, for Nobel Arustamian, um, uh, he got he got a letter which basically said this is on advice of the local, um, uh, I think, of local security services. Uh, so obviously they were aware of his visit to Nagorno-Karabakh, and you know he he didn't really hide it in the past. And under Azeri law, from what I understand, you need a special permission. And obviously he, when if you go from the Armenian side, you enter this territory without permission. So it's uh, and it's a long-term conflict. Obviously, as you know, there was a war. Uh, in uh, 2020, uh, whereby Azerbaijan recaptured a lot of that land. And then afterwards, there was a joint uh, Turkish-Azeri military parade in Baku to celebrate uh, their victory. Erdogan was there with Aliyev, the two presidents. So I think there's another reason, like another, uh, if if you like, um, uh, sort of demonstration of the fact, you know, Turkey and and Azerbaijan are very close allies. And this is another reason why Turkey will will have great support in Baku. Maybe the next time they hold a European Championships like this spread out across the continent, it will be a similar situation between England and Scotland and they'll be, you know, you cross the Hadrian's Wall and it'll... Hadrian's Wall at your peril. Yes. Why did you go to Edinburgh in 2018? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's that's an extraordinary business though, Sasha. Reading it, I'd assumed that it was accreditation for Baku, which even in itself would be terrible and I was concerned that they might be experiencing rough treatment when they got there, but they're not going there. They just wanted to cover the, the tournament. From what you were saying, sorry, all the people that you mentioned, did they eventually managed to get their accreditation? So, based, so, so Nobel's situation uh, kind of became a bit of a cause célèbre this week, and it was resolved on Thursday. But Mikhail and Konstantin only found out uh, on Friday. So at the moment, there. So Mikhail has gone back to Moscow uh, to commentate on the game from the studio. Um, and Konstantin, at the moment, doesn't have accreditation for the whole tournament. Uh, so I wonder whether this is going to go to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs again. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting one. Also, just to mention another conflict, um, we discussed the Ukraine kit in the preview um, about the slogans. And part of the slogans, which is glory to the heroes, um, UEFA ordered um, uh, Ukraine to cover it up. And it was actually on the back of the shirt, on the inside of the back of the shirt, and I think they're going to put the map and the um, symbol of Ukraine and glory to Ukraine over it. But 
Russia complained, and this this bit, uh, we have actually uh, agreed that that should be covered up. So right, a lot of controversy to... in the former USSR, basically. Why? Well, well, yes, uh, they're going to have to remake all their shirts. No, I think it's just I think it's obviously too late to remake the shirts. I think they're going right. to saw something over them just just to cover up the words. Oh right, so it's like um, right, yeah. the Tour de France employs people to go and paint rude images into nice images on the route. So if someone's drawing right. a, a phallus, they'll turn it into a butterfly or something like that. So it's a kind of football shirt version of that essentially. So right, except this is actually on the inside. It's it's like it's like back on the inside of the collar. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been busy off the pitch, and the tournament hasn't even started yet. Well, it has, of course, in a very real oh, sorry, real yeah, sense. Yeah. For yeah, some, sorry. yeah, for you, Sasha, the tournament yeah. hasn't hasn't started yet. Good. Okay. Well, uh, that's a full list of fixtures then for us to be discussing come Saturday evening on Totally Football Show at the Euros, uh, and we're going to be doing that in the company of Daniel Story and. Tom Williams looking back on Saturday's action and, of course, forward to Sunday's games, which include another England-Croatia at Wembley. Brilliant. Uh, that's it, though, for today. So many, many thanks to Sasha Gurionov and to Duncan Alexander and to Ari and James, who joined us earlier on as well. Have a splendid Saturday, everybody, and we'll catch up with you later on. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally to find out all the latest subscription offers. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.